Listening to the flip side with Noah Philippiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet flip side swag at www.patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak. What up, Flip Eponymi? Welcome to episode 73 of the Flipside Podcast. Excited about today's show, excited about today's interview. I'm going to be interviewing today Ron Sanderson, and Ron is diagnosed with autism. I'm just going to read you his bio now, and we've already recorded we've already recorded the interview. And I, first of all, uh, this is a really fun conversation. Ron has some epic one-liners that you're not going to hear anywhere else uh, in this episode. And I'm telling you, I learned so much from this. Talking to Ron has been really helpful for me, uh, particularly as it uh, relates to, you know, my passion, one of my passions, but one of my primary passions is about, uh, you know, diversity. And I talk a lot about racial diversity. We've talked about gender diversity here on the show. And I mentioned this in the interview, but I'd like you to have this in mind as you enter into the interview how how important it is on a team in a leadership team setting when decisions are being made if everybody on the team stereotypically has been a white male and often even the same age you know you only get one perspective often the same uh, political slant as well uh, in a church you get one perspective and you really deprive the organization the church the denomination whatever it may be uh, you, you you deprive it of other viewpoints, uh, viewpoints of women, viewpoints of people of color. And for me as a white male to, to act like I know, uh, you know, what's best for women or what's best for black people as a leader, that's really presumptuous uh, on my part and just just foolish. It's just wrong. It's, there's, there's just no way that I would know better you know, than somebody that's sitting in those shoes. And so that's the beauty, one of the beauties of, of diversity. And I just admit candidly, and I mentioned it in the episode as well, that a uh, a a I don't people group is the right word, uh, but at the that that table of diversity, I have not thought near enough about people with disabilities, uh, specifically talking to Ron about people with autism, and ways that churches typically do a pretty poor job of ministering to people with disabilities and ministering to people with autism. And we talk about that. It's really, really helpful for me. It's challenging my thinking. Uh, And what does Jesus want the kingdom of God to look like here uh, in our churches? And what does he want the kingdom to look like here in the the community, the the people that we interact with, the people that we call friends? And so, yeah, I hope hope that gets you excited about this interview. Uh, Before we jump into that, Want to give a shout out to Angry Brew. I've uh, busted out my my initial Flipside swag mug, my Flip Upon My mug today, giving it giving it a, a turn. Uh, if first of all, if you'd like to uh, get yourself some sweet Flipside swag, head to Podbean.com/slash/NoahFilipiak. Podbean, like a coffee bean. dot com/slash/NoahFilipiak. Uh, become a monthly supporter. You can pick up some sweet Flipside swag. 
that goes a long way in helping making this show possible and allows me to be able to do the flip side and create more more episodes. Uh, but shout out to Angry Brew, who uh, you'll see. I always do this behind me. It's over here. Uh, my Angry Brew uh, stickers up behind me. Uh, big thanks to Angry Brew Five Lakes Coffee for sponsoring the show. That really means a lot. And you can, I'm drinking my Angry Brew today. It's very good. Uh, coffee with a punch. Angry Brew is a nice dark roast. And if you go to fivelakes.com or angrybrew.com, use promo code FLIP and you'll get 10% off your order. And that also does us a huge uh, solid because it shows Five Lakes Angry Brew that their sponsorship is indeed uh, a good investment <laughs> on their part. So big shout out to them. Uh, big thanks to them and big thanks to you listeners uh, for listening and for supporting the show. Uh, yeah, excited, like I said, about today's show. We're going to get the episode, the interview with Ron here next. And I, uh, I've i got his bio here in front of me that I'm going to read. And then we will jump right into that interview. Ron Sanderson works full-time in the medical field and is a professor of theology at Destiny School of Ministry. He is an advisory board member of the Art of Autism and Ells Center of Excellence. Sanderson has a Master of Divinity from Oral Roberts University and is the author of A Parent's Guide to Autism, Practical Advice, and Biblical Wisdom, published by Charisma House and and the book Views from the Spectrum. He has memorized over 15,000 scriptures, including 22 complete books of the New Testament. Sanderson speaks at over 70 events a year, including 20-plus education conferences. Ron and his wife, Kristen, reside in Rochester Hills, Michigan, with daughter, Michaela. His website is spectruminclusion.com. Our show notes will have that bio and those books of Ron's and his, uh, his website for you to check out. Without further ado... Let's jump in to this dynamic interview with Ron Sanderson. Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? All right, Ron, thanks so much for joining us today on the flip side. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me on your show. I even wore my honey badger shirt for autism. Oh, wonderful to explain. I, I'm not I'm not familiar with the honey badger connection to autism. Go ahead. So here's a connection to honey badger. Many people like me on the autism spectrum have meltdowns. And when we have meltdowns, we lose complete control of our bodies. And the honey badger never gives up. He keeps going and going. And that's why the honey badger represents not only meltdowns, but advocacy. I'm a force to be reckoned with. And the honey badger never gives up. So that's why I wear that to demonstrate God's grace on my life as a young adult with autism and God's grace on the autism community by giving us great gifts, but also great challenges. Mm -hmm. And that by his grace and power, second Corinthians four, seven says, we have these treasures and jars of clay. So that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. So the honey badger represents the challenges and the ability to overcome those challenges with autism. Amen. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you wore that shirt. That's so cool. Uh, tell us, tell listeners, by the way, listeners, Ron is a listener. He is he is one of us. So thanks for listening to the show, Ron. And 
uh, tell our listening audience just a little bit about yourself, about your story, and how it was that you uh, started becoming passionate about uh, the connection between ministry and autism. So my development began normal. I said my first word, mommy. And I said, mommy, at nine months when I was being water baptized, and any child who thinks they're being drowned is going to cry out, mommy, mommy. But then I went through a time of regression to being able to say, mommy, to at 18 months, only saying, mom, mom. And I went from having eye contact to zero eye contact. And my mom, being a great mom, and having two other sons who were non-autistic, knew there was something drastically different between me and my brother, Steve and Chuck. She immediately took me to a pediatrician. Pediatrician said, men are like fine wine. You got to give them time. And my mom knew that time was the essence. So, and then the pediatrician went on to say, but women are like flowers. They blossom quickly. So my mom knew that she had to act quickly. She immediately got me an intense speech therapy from age two to 16. And um, I've been able to develop that ability to speak and ability to communicate. And when I was seven years old, that's when I was diagnosed as autistic. At seven, the school officials and administration and specialists, they all want to diagnose me emotionally impaired. My mom said, it's not emotional, it's neurological. And if you can't tell me what's going on in my son's head, I'll get him tested and come back to you and tell you exactly what it is. Henry Ford Hospital diagnosed me with autism in 1982. When I was diagnosed, it was only one in every 10,000 children were diagnosed with autism. It's now one in every 44. And my mom quit her job as an art teacher, became a full-time Ron teacher. She used art to teach me. She used a prairie dog named Prairie Pup. And Prairie Pups met everyone from Muhammad Ali to Roberta Flack to Screech from Saved by a Bill during his career as my mascot as a prairie dog. And my passion came from having the first major Americans with Disabilities case in the state of Michigan, Sanderson versus the MHSAA. My Hmm. senior year of high school, the MHSAA said they would not let me compete in track and cross country. I was one of the fastest 800 meter runners in the state of Michigan. And my 3,200 relay team was one of the fastest in the state of Michigan. And I was three months past the age limit to compete in high school athletics. And on the way back from the state finals, finishing 12th, my junior year, Nate, our relay runner, anchor runner on our relay team, said next year we'll be the fastest relay team in the state of Michigan, but we won't have run on our relay team. Right then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I'll provide a way for you to compete on the track team. Things seemed hopeless. And on the beginning of the track season, they told me they wouldn't let me compete the MHSAA. And a week before the track season began, I saw on the front page of Detroit Free Press, a young man, Craig Stanley from Gross Point, and they told his family they wouldn't let him compete. We got together and prayed. And that wow. Sunday, after meeting with him, I got water baptized, showed my commitment to Christ. When I came out of the water, the minister said, God showed me a word when you came out. Joel 2.25, I repay the ears of the oaks, the great locusts, the young oaks, the oaks, oaks one, my great army sent among you. And God has a blessing for you beginning today. When I got home, the answering machine was blinking red. My press it began this way. Hi, my name's Rick Landel. I'm a young attorney, mm-hmm. and I want to take your case pro bono. All you need to do is sign. And before then, my mom had called all the lawyers, and they said it'd be over forty thousand wow. dollars. Took my case. We won. It ended up becoming the present second case in the state of Michigan for Americans with Disabilities case. 
and I ended up getting full ride to Rochester College for track and cross country. And I went on to get my master divinity at Oral Roberts University. And it created in me a passion to help people with disabilities and see if their civil rights are not violated. It says God's a father of the fatherless and he's yeah. a defender of widows in Psalm 6820. And that's what my ministry does. It goes in there, shares the power of God, the grace of God, and how God's able to use my unique disabilities because where I'm weak, he is strong, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and use them for his glory. So that's kind of where it all began is right my senior year of high school. And actually, I joke as I start out as a television evangelist because I had a major Americans with Disabilities case, CNN, Fox News, all the major networks were interviewing me. And I had one rule. I get to share one Bible verse every time you interview me. Nice. And every time I got interviewed, I shared a Bible verse and I shared how it was all God bringing the lawyer to me, bringing um, the connections for me to be able to compete on the track team. Man, that is awesome. First of all, I also am an 800 runner, was an 800 runner, uh, ran in college. And so that's awesome. That's so cool that that was like the catalyst for this. And then that that just God used that from, from one chain to the next, to the next, to the next. So uh, praise God, man, for your story yeah. and, and his ability to to use that to shine his light and to show people, even listeners now, God is active. Uh, God is at work. I, I love that element of your story that you prayed and God spoke and God just moved. I think people often you say like, where's God? Why isn't he moving? Yeah. I mean, what a story. He's moving, right? Like that is so amazing yeah. to see him moving in your life and to hear you testifying about it. And I put it this way, God's got this. And there's a bracelet I have that I wear often. It says, God's got this. And in fact, Sunday, I'm going to be preaching in a large church, my message on God's got this. And a lot of times we don't realize God's got this. He's got great connections in our lives. We need to find where God's yeah. moving and join them in it. It's like a river. You jump in the river, it's going to lead you where it's going. And when we follow God, when we pray, when we seek God's heart, he shows us that path. And I got an amazing God's got it moment too, is um, my senior year of high school, God put on my heart to memorize the scriptures. My first year memorized, I memorized over 2,000 Bible verses. And when I was going through the, the court cases, every time I ran, there was media there, and I shared the Bible verses, people would come up to me and say, you preach the word, just like Dr. Jack Van Impey, who was a famous TV evangelist. I didn't know who he was at first, and one night I was swiping going through the channels and there was Dr. Jack Van Impey presents. And the first episode I ever saw, he announced this at the end of his show for the first time in my 50 years in the ministry, I'm going to have an open house where I'll let people from the outside community come in. And God spoke to me and said, you need to go to this. I thought it's going to be California or somewhere else and end up being right in Rochester Hills where I live. And when I went and met him, the first thing he did was like a machine gun, hundreds of Bible verses off he spewed. And he has over 15,000 Bible verses memorized he had. And I gave him word reference perfect for everyone. And he said this to me, he goes, when you are a senior in a college and you're doing an intern, you're going to do it for me. And I was end up being able to do my intern for Dr. Jack Van Impey, my senior year of college. And I went on to memorize over 15,000 Bible verses like he had memorized when he went on to be with the Lord on January 18th, two years ago. Wow. 
And in your bio, you mentioned that in the, the 22 complete books of the New Testament as well. That is absolutely incredible. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit uh, a little bit prior to you coming on, but can you talk a little bit about, well, uh, well, we'll, we'll use that to kind of jump in to maybe a, a broader section of questions about autism. You were talking about how uh, people with autism, there's there's those with high needs and there's different labels people use, low, maybe lower functioning, high functioning. Some people use those labels, some people don't. We can talk about that a little bit, but you, you had mentioned, uh, this, you're, I mean, in your own story, that's an extraordinary ability to be able to memorize that many scriptures. Uh, I would not be able to do that. You talked about uh, an, an individual who uh, is, I, I believe, uh, had some high needs, but also has art exhibits uh, all over the world and that sell for, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that when it comes to people with autism? And is that is that normal uh, that that somebody would have maybe an exceptional ability uh, that somebody without autism really doesn't have the, the same chance uh, to attain? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So with autism, it's a spectrum. So there's people who are very high needs. They can't tie their shoes or nonverbal. Then there's people who are on the spectrum who have great abilities, great talents. And the problem is, is that with those talents and with those gifts also can, can come very high needs. You can maybe be nonverbal and not able to tie your shoes, but make artwork that's shown in New York's finest art museums. And with me, my ability to communicate started off very slow. My mom noticed that whenever I'd write my name, I'd write it backwards. So I not only had autism, but I had dyslexia. And what my mom knew is that I also had great art ability. So what she'd do, she'd have me draw pictures like these when I was five years old. Then she'd have me tell her a story. And when I told her a story, she'd write the story and I'd rewrite it. Within three or within two years of using art, the way I learned, I was able to overcome dyslexia. And now I have no dyslexia. And I've gone on to publish three nationally published books. Two were in Barnes and Noble. And I finished my fourth book on autism, growth, and transitioning adulthood, which a publisher is picking up. But my what it took was my mom praying. When she prayed, she said, Ron doesn't seem to be learning like my other children. And can you, Holy Spirit, show me how to teach them? And what God put on her heart was art. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And she knew that the spirit of God had spoken to her and she took the knowledge that he gave her and used art to teach me. And I went on to get my master divinity from Oral Roberts University, graduating with a 4.0. I gone on to accomplished many things, but it would have never happened if the Holy Spirit wouldn't have spoke to my mom and showed her what I needed. And years later, I find out Temple Grand, who's most famous person in the world on the autism spectrum, says this, 90% of people with autism are visual learners. Only about 5% can learn phonetically. And one teacher told my mom, I'll teach Ron 50% phonetically, 50% visually. And then my mom said, then you'll only get 50% of an education because he can't learn anything phonetically. And that's why I'm able to quote 15,000 Bible verses. It's my ability with 
memory and ability with visual learning. I have my note cards. I see them. My brain's able to process it because that's how I learn. Children don't learn the way we teach them. We teach them the way they learn. And that's what my mm -hmm. mom did. She used those gifts. And um, oh, there's a famous psychologist, famous doctor named Trefford, who is a consult for Rain Man movies. And he said, you need the island of intactfulness. He says, each person who has a disability is someplace where they're intact. And you use that mm. to bring them out into your world and use that tactness to be able to teach them. And he wrote the foreword for my third book, Views from the Spectrum. Wow. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I, I think, um, goodness, I, I think about the stat you shared about when you were diagnosed with autism, I think you said it was one in, was it 10,000? 10,000, yep. And then now one in every 44. One in every 44. And I, I think about how many kids fell through the cracks where teachers were trying to teach them. Can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but basically like we're trying to teach them the way they the teacher wanted to teach, the way our education yeah. system teaches rather than teaching in the way that that child with autism uh, that wasn't diagnosed uh, was, you know, they, they were unable to learn in that way. That's just tragic because then you have a child flunking out of school or maybe, you know, the teacher thinks is, is maybe even, uh, I can't think of the word, like obstinate to their, you know, to their teaching or something when really it was a matter of teaching them in a way that they're wired, physiologically wired to be able to learn. That's, uh, yeah. that's sad to me and, and also fascinating. I got a great story on what you just said. So when I was in high school, they made me take Spanish and I ended up getting a D in it. And years later, my mom ran into that Spanish teacher and said, my son, Ron's a minister now when they got talking. And she said, but he was horribly behaved in my Spanish <laughs> class. Yeah. And what's interesting is I got a D in Spanish. But when I took Koine Greek, which is a biblical Greek, I got a 4.0. You know, here's the difference. If I go to Mexico, what are they speaking? Spanish. Spanish. If I go to Spain, what are they speaking? Spanish. Spanish. If I go to Greek, they're speaking modern Greek. They're not speaking Koine Greek. So Koine Greek is a dead language. So you can't teach it phonetically. You can only teach it visually. Mm -hmm. What ended up happening, learning Koine Greek visually, I went on to translate two-thirds of New Testament from Greek into English. I can quote the whole book of Mark from my Greek version in the English version that I made. And that Koine Greek, I was able to master because it was taught the way I learned. Mm -hmm. And we need to teach young adults with autism and children with autism the way they learn, not the way we teach everyone else. And once we do that, we're going to see a lot more people with autism using their great gifts. And actually, it was in the Bible, it talks about a time of great increase in knowledge. Daniel 12, 4 says, but you, Daniel, go your way till time in the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. And most people read it and they don't know the Koine Greek of the LXX version that has Daniel 12, 4 in it. And the Greek word for knowledge there, it's not gnosis. And that's the kind of knowledge we with autism lack. Matthew 1, 25, Joseph didn't know Mary. It's gnosis. He didn't know her in an intimate way. And people with autism, we, they lack what? Social skills. But the audio knowledge is not only a head knowledge, but it's a knowledge that leads 
to technology. And with these great abilities and strides, we see Elon Musk. What is he saying? I'm on the autism spectrum. Why is it he's inventing all these things? He had what? Audio knowledge, it's going to increase in the end time. So with the increase of autism, one in every 44 compared to one 10,080s, what are we seeing? A great increase in knowledge. And we need to celebrate those abilities that can create technology. Temple Grandin said it this way. If we didn't have autism, we'd have great social skills. We'd be around the campfire clapping our hands saying, kumbaya, kumbaya. But we wouldn't have the technology to turn on the lights. And that's what autism gives to us. And even the prophets in the Bible saw this time when there was going to be an increase in knowledge. But this increase in knowledge is from the autistic mind. And we need mm. to be able to include people with autism in the church. You, you mentioned uh, social skills, you know, lacking in social skills. And I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about that. I think when... I got some. Well, so uh, go ahead, jump in. And then yeah, I, I got so a question I want to come with around social to. social skills, I lack it all, a lot. So I'll say something that I don't mean. And I'll, I, I won't filter what I say. My favorite autism in the workplace 101 mishap happened in 1996. I was working at a car wash and on the way to the car wash, they announced on 97 won the ticket. Today, Wayne Fonts was fired. He had the best running back all time, Barry Sanders, a great wide receiver, Herman Moore, and a great quarterback in Scott Mitchells, and they did not make the playoffs with the number one offense. As I'm drawing up the cars at the car wash, who should show up there with a Cuban cigar in his mouth and a white Jaguar, but Wayne Fonts himself. And as I'm drawing off the cars, I notice that Kids have paperwork who work there for him to sign, get his autograph. So I go in the back, I give him it. I kid you not, he looked like this with his hand scratching his head. Son, is that what I think it is? I said, yes, Wayne Fonts, that's a job application. Tonight they announced on 97 won the ticket, you were fired. And I want you to get a job here. You see that bug there? That's defense. I can teach you defense and we can teach you teamwork and you'll be back in the NFL. Needless to say, the most outspoken Lions coach in Lions history was speechless, and only autism can do that. So I may have great ability at quoting Bible verses, writing books, but when it comes to social skills, I never know what's going to come out of my mouth. I'm like Trump on Twitter. It comes out. <laughs> but at least back then, I could deny I ever said it, unlike the social media today. Oh, my goodness. So with Wayne Fonts, you're at the car wash. Did you You worked at the car wash, and you handed him – a job application for the car wash yeah him to work at the car wash yep that and the is irony awesome. is is um 25 years later i come out to work at the hospital and one of the the people was there patient he looks at me and says did you go to oral roberts university and work at a car wash and i thought he was going to say i heard you speak and he says to me he goes i was a manager of that car wash when you gave fonts that job application. <laughs> so even 25 years later, oh, people man. remember autism. Wow. Well, Wayne Fonts probably should have taken you up on that offer because I don't think he coached again. And I think the, the Lions could use any help they could get at this point, I think. so. Yeah, I think they could. <laughs> a lot of help. Uh, so to that social skills question, I think that, uh, you know, people that are non-autistic, let's say, don't always know sometimes maybe there's even fear. There's, there's a, there's a fear of the unknown. Uh, when you meet someone randomly, like in town or at church, even, 
it's not like you're, I mean, you're wearing the honey badger t-shirt today and you explain to me what that means, which is awesome. Most people with autism, they're not wearing a sign around their neck that says I have autism. Uh, so therefore I'm, I'm going to maybe have some different social interactions, you know, those kind of things. I'm wondering if you can just give advice to non-autistic people on, you know, when you meet someone that is acting differently, maybe maybe some some social ways that are abnormal to to what what you're used to, uh, maybe just advice that you have on how to approach that person rather than I think uh, candidly what is nor our default normally is to judge and to be afraid and even maybe to go oh that person's creepy or I need to you know I need to stay away from them I need to not talk to them I need to keep you know can you can you give us some advice around that. Yeah. So most people like bottled water, they get shaken up, stirred up. Not much is happening. But a young adult with autism, they're more like Mountain Dew. You shake it up, kaboom, you want to do the do. And I think one of the things I share is that realize that if someone's acting different, seems not to like touch, don't go up and give them a big hug because that can make them have a meltdown. Also, most people are easy at connecting. First thing most men say to another man when they meet them is, what do you do for a living? But people with autism, they're more like Velcro shoes that are 20 years old. They lose their ability to connect those Velcro shoes. And a lot of us have difficulty connecting. And instead of asking a young adult with autism, what do you do for a living? Ask them, what are some of your interests? Because our passions in life, we're able to share a lot of information mm, on that passion. And if someone goes on longer than you were expecting, you feel like you're turning into a skeleton, realize that people with autism, they're passionate about their interests and be able to accept them and celebrate them for their gifts and encourage them in those areas. So number one, realize that people with autism may have sensory issues. They may not like touch. They may not like the smell of that cologne you have. Number two, realize that they have special interests and try and connect with them with those special interests. My special interest is a honey badger and a prairie dog. There they are. Nice. I also like old vintage toys like Thundercats. Nice. One, yes. Or Transformers. And like Transformers, people with autism are more to meet the eyes. We have these great abilities, but at the same time, we a lot of times have a lot of disabilities and challenges and try and help people see those challenges and uh, and be able to include them. Yeah. People with autism, there's a myth that they don't like social interaction. It's not that, it's that we don't understand social mm. action. And if you can get us involved, we're going to be able to share things. And you may learn something you never knew because we see the world differently than a lot of people who don't have autism. First of all, listeners, if you're not watching this episode on YouTube, uh, you need to so you can see Ron's honey badger shirt and he's he's consistently bringing visuals out like a Thundercats toy and a Transformers toy and the Prairie Dog. That's so awesome. I love that, Ron. So uh, the, the YouTube uh, option on the flip side is a little bit newer. So most listeners are still just listening to audio only. So I will give a plug for our YouTube channel, Noah Filippiak. Uh, sorry, youtube.com slash Noah Filippiak to find uh, to find this episode uh, visually as well, which is awesome. Speaking of being a visual learner, right? And so yeah. um, 
Okay, so visuals behind you is some artwork created by your six-year-old daughter, uh, yeah. and which is awesome. And I we were ch chatting before the show. I've got some artwork behind me on my bookshelves from my daughters who are uh, now they're five, nine, and eleven. Uh, I have two questions. One is just ignorant question: Is autism is that uh, genetic, hereditary? Is that something that I know? You, one of your books that you wrote is about. A Parent's Guide to Autism, Practical Advice uh, and, uh, and Biblical Wisdom. And so I'm wondering if your daughter's diagnosed with autism. I'm also wondering how is it for you as a parent, uh, parenting with you having autism, uh, how does that affect your parenting? How does that affect your marriage? Uh, I, I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, so um, I know my daughter's not on the autism spectrum. I know because her first word was okay. She was on the spectrum. It'd be no, no, daddy, no. <laughs> and also autism isn't caused by one thing. It's caused by contributing factors. One of the causes of autism is a difference in the age of parents. My dad was 41 when he had me. My mom was 24. So there's a great age gap, which was a contributing factor. We also know that much of autism is genetics, a high percentage, probably more than any other contributing factor. I had an uncle who was on the spectrum. And when he died, they said this, you knew, or whenever Uncle Dave went someplace, you needed a pole because he moved so slow, you need a point of reference to make sure he was moving. And for his career, he worked as a mailman. So if you ever had packages late in the 80s, it was probably Uncle Dave delivering <laughs> to your house. So we know that there's different contributing factors. The age of parents, the um, genetics is a big one. And um, social environment. Also, we know that if parents had depression that was clinically diagnosed, the odds of them go having a child with autism went up. So all these different contributing factors add to it. And you look at one of the reasons there's an increase in autism is people are having children later in life, which is a contributing factor. One of the people I think who's the most famous who's on the autism spectrum but was never formally diagnosed because we didn't have diagnosis in the first century or in the 2000 years or 3000 years ago is King Solomon. Hmm. You'll get King Solomon. David was about 40 when he had Solomon. Bathsheba would have been about 16, 18 years old. David also um, was a king. He had great knowledge. And we know that people who um, are logical thinkers, engineers have a lot more kids on the spectrum than people are not engineers and not logical in their field of work. He was a very strategic warrior, David, it says in First Chronicles 28.3. And we know that Solomon made a statement that might have slipped, uh, Freudian slip that gave up his autism. Here it was. They brought a baby for King Solomon. One was dead, one was alive. And the one lady said, that child's mine. The other one said, that child is mine. So he had two arguing over a child. What did King Solomon say? Cut it in two. That shows no empathy. And only someone with autism would ever make that comment. Also, King Solomon, when he boasted in Ecclesiastic, tells all his great achievements. And what did he do? He systematized them and put them in a logical order, which showed repetitive behavior, which is on the autism spectrum. I actually did a whole article on it. And I truly believe that the wisest man 
one with the most odious knowledge of his time, Radagonosius, was on the spectrum. And nowhere in Ecclesiastic, nowhere in Solomon's writing other than his um, Songs of Songs does he talk about his friendship with other people. It's all of these material things, all these achievements, his knowledge of birds, his infinite knowledge. And they have that kind of infinite knowledge. You have to be somewhere on the spectrum. Wow. Yeah. And then um, with my own case, I, as I mentioned, I was diagnosed at age seven. So we see that increase and autism affects every way area of my life. One young adult with autism, Danny, who's on love on the spectrum said this, English is my second language, autism my first, meaning mm-hmm. that culturally everything she does is affected by autism and everything I do is affected by autism. And it kind of affects my marriage in this way is I'm very focused on something. My wife can ask me a question and I don't even process that question was asked because I'm so focused on my area or what I'm working on at mm-hmm. the time. I can tell you the exact time it took me to write Parents Guide Autism, Practical Advice, Biblical Wisdom, Views from the Spectrum, A Window in the Life in Your Faith, Neurodivergent Child, and Thought Choice Action. All three of my books take me 1,200 hours. And my brain is so focused that I know exactly how much time I got to spend on them. When I'm working on those, I put everything off. And one thing that being a dad with autism does is it breaks autism down because my daughter is six years old. She doesn't mm-hmm. follow routine, so she mm-hmm. kind of breaks those down. I have a $6,000 collection of calico critters in box, kind of like the 40-year-old virgin. And my daughter one time in, went into my room and saw a calico critter collection of a beauty salon, and she fell in love with it. And I handed her, let her break open the box and take them out. So having autism and having a child breaks that autism down, Mm. makes us more able to connect, unlike those Velcro shoes that are 20 years old. And I find that as I get older, I'm able to connect more with people. I'm able to understand people more people because I'm living experience. And experience is what breaks down those social barriers. Because when you spend time with people, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another person. And that's what's been happening in my life during the last 30 years. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, let me get you uh, to go back to what we we're talking about a little bit earlier. We've talked quite a bit about someone that's high functioning, autistic uh, like yourself and some of those social scenarios. Uh, can you talk about what is what some would call low functioning autism? Maybe what's the difference between the two? And just, yeah, and, and maybe some, some advice for, for listeners, uh, whether it's in a church scenario or another scenario when interacting uh, with somebody that has low-functioning autism. All right. So what I call lower functioning is higher needs. It's usually a person who has difficulty even tying their shoe, difficulty even feeding themselves maybe, dressing themselves, or taking care of basic needs. And nonverbal is one of the main ones where we say someone is higher or higher need. Lower needs is someone who's able to drive, able to um, communicate, but they may have difficulty with employment. They say the wrong thing to the wrong person and end mm-hmm. up unemployed. There's young 
a young adult who is lower needs in what we call higher functioning. And he said this, my dad told me I need a job where I'll never get fired for sexual harassment or saying something inappropriate. So I got the perfect job. I got a job at a funeral home. All the clients are dead. So a lot of times we label people not realizing their needs. So here's how you handle it in the church. You see someone in your Sunday school class who seems to be higher needs. Ask the parents, how does autism affect your child? Or ask the guardian, and how can we make them feel comfortable? How can we accommodate? Which is a key word in the Americans with Disabilities Act, a reasonable accommodation. So ask them, what are some of the areas they're going to struggle in? How can I help them in their area? And that helps much more than a diagnosis that a doctor maybe gave four minutes meeting with that child, because now you know their needs. Christ does what? He supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. So we as his followers do what? Help supply their needs to accommodate. And that's how we can do that in the church is knowing their needs, knowing how we can accommodate for those needs and helping them any way we can. And one of the things I think that helped me the most in church, I was very disruptive in Sunday school, very disruptive in youth group growing up. And they found a young man who liked the same things I did. He was studying to be a minister named Brian. And you know what he did? He'd sit there, explain the lessons to me, explain what was going on. And he was a friend to me. And if I got too um, hyperactive, he'd take me to gym the church had and we'd shoot hoops. And yeah. knowing how to have a buddy who's um, interested in you and willing to take time with you, that was one of the things that really prepared me for ministry later on is having someone who accepted me. And if someone like Brian and some of the other people God sent along my way, they wouldn't have helped me like that. I might not have studied for ministry. Yeah, that's, no, that's, it's to hear Brian, you know, in your life and to hear what you said about accommodation, I think is really helpful. And, and I hope, I hope what listeners hear, whether somebody is, is high needs or lower needs uh, on the autism spectrum is, and, and this sounds even, man, it sounds crass even saying it like this, but I think we forget. Uh, I think that non-autistic individuals forget that there is a whole person uh sort of i don't know if underneath is the right word but you know i I think of someone that has higher needs of autism and how how i I think there's 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 a fear of like you said earlier this person they want to interact socially they don't know how to do it and in a in a non-verbal situation or in a situation where somebody can't tie their shoes or whatever i think that a non-autistic person can go, oh man, I can't go sit with that person. I can't go talk to that person uh, because what would I say? What would I do? I'm not a professional. I'm not a, I'm not a nurse. I'm not trained. So I'm, so instead I'm just going to ignore them. Instead, I'm just going to, I'm going to act like they, they're not even here or they don't exist, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I, I, I like the invitation that you're giving uh, and it's, it's, it's bringing out the humanity of all people, uh, and and saying, uh, you know, we love we love this person like Christ, just like we would love anybody else. That's what I'm. That's what I'm hearing from you. 
Yeah. And Joel Osteen's right-hand man, Pastor Craig Johnson, he had his son, Connor, with autism and has one of the biggest special needs ministry in Houston, Texas, said this, the most important thing to be effective in ministry when ministering to people with autism is love and acceptance. Because if you have love and acceptance, they're going to accept you, you're going to accept them, and the love of Christ is going to flow forth. And that's the main thing that I think we need. And part of acceptance is knowing people's needs so you can accommodate for them. You gave me a stat on email. You said currently in the U.S., only 5% of Christian families who have a child with autism attend church. So that was one stat. And then only 3% of people with autism are gainfully employed. So let's start with the first one. In the U.S., of all the Christian families that have a child with autism, which is a lot, I'm sure, only 5% of them attend church. Uh, why do you think that is, and what can churches do to help remedy that? And the reason I think it is, a lot of times, takes so much energy every day with a child at autism. And then, two, even if you have a child who they say is less needs and seems higher functioning, a lot of times people will say this, your kid doesn't look autistic. So when the kid does something due to their autism, people judge them. The proper mm-hmm. response to that is, I'd love for you to see my child when he's having a full meltdown and him need to be near your fine China. Then you won't say he doesn't look autistic. Yeah. So I think that one of the things we can do is provide that buddy when they go to service. We can um, provide a night out for special needs parents where their kids are babysat by someone from the church or at the church and they can go out and be able to enjoy life because that child with autism sometimes causes all their energy to be drained. And I think that's one of the key reasons for that statistic is um, people with autism, they use up all their energy with their kid and then they don't have the energy not only to get to church, but also for the people who are going to judge them when they see the kid doing something that other people don't. And that buddy, when they see the kid starting to get a little anxious or a little excited or stemming in church, they can take them out, mm-hmm. have them walk around, maybe shoot baskets if that's what the kid likes to do. And I think that can help. And then with the 3% employment with autism, we're the only, or gainfully employed, we're the only country in the world that has this high level of unemployment. In the United States, 80% of people with autism are either unemployed or underemployed. Um, something like 60% have never had a job. But in Europe, it's the opposite. 80% of people with autism are gainfully employed who are higher functioning. So we got to ask, what's the difference between Europe and the United States? And it's simply this. Europe has universal health care. So a child mm-hmm. with autism or a young adult with autism, they don't have to worry about getting a job losing their jobs and having no benefits. And even with employment, a lot of insurances, the price for the health care may outdo um, the price of what they're going to make at the job. Some insurances is as much as $1,200 a month to have insulin. So you have a young adult with autism, they're getting benefits, they're getting health care. Now if they had diabetes and we know that people with autism have more illnesses and more challenges in that area. 
$1,200, you can never make it with having health care if your insurance charge that amount. So what yeah. we need to do is get health care for people who are on the spectrum for a lifetime. We know that autism is what? A lifetime disability. So why would you take away those benefits when a person with autism gets a job? If you keep the benefits and they know they're not going to lose them, you're going to see much more people with disabilities, not only autism, but diabetes and other disabilities gainfully employed. And we're never going to see gainful employment among the disability community until we do that. Remember I talked about having the first major Americans with disabilities case? Yeah. The Americans with disabilities case they used for mine came about over 30 years ago. And during that 30 years, one of the things Americans Disabilities Act was supposed to do, the most important thing, it never did. And that was improve the employment of people with disabilities. And that's why what I just told you why. Mm. Is there practical steps, you know, thinking of our audience listening today, uh, the, the flip upon am I, uh, is there, there practical steps people can take to advocate for uh, people with disabilities advocate for people with autism, you know, when it comes to employment, when it comes to legislation or just local advocacy, uh, what type of things do you recommend? So what I recommend is meeting with people running for office, get involved with the senators, get involved with the congressmen. This um, past election, I spent an hour talking to a senator on the phone candidate whose son is nine years old and on the autism spectrum. With education in the special ed stuff they need. I um, emailed one of the top running people who is a conservative, did a commercial for them to have them use for them getting an office and they end up getting an office. And now I can help them be a voice for the disability mm-hmm. community. So being involved in finding people who have God's values and a heart for God's people is key and getting them connected can help. And also sharing with other people as an advocate what needs your community has helps bring those about and also not backing down when your beliefs are challenged with standing up and being a voice in the darkness a voice that creates a platform and you can create a platform by writing articles having a podcast like this it's getting that um, information out there and you're a platform in a noisy world. There's a yeah. lot of noise and static, yeah. but if you can build that platform and that's what I've done is I built my platform in the autism community. So wherever I go, people, when I email them, they kind of recognize me or they see me on Fox morning show sharing on my books, or they see me, I was in Lansing. I spoke to 400 teachers at a big conference there. Then people recognize and they're willing to hear what you have this say because you have a platform so building that platform is key i've seen uh again i i'm learning here as i go i i I, but i've seen the puzzle pieces i believe as a a symbol of autism awareness uh and is there i've seen magnets you know on people's cars and such can you is there like a national autism organization uh or you know that you'd recommend for people, or or are there local chapters or anything like that of of where um, you know somebody could? 
I don't know. I don't know. I guess what, what my question is. I'm wondering about the puzzle pieces. If, 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 that's yeah, let me explain that. Yeah, to you. We'll start there. Yeah. So a lot of people are offended by the puzzle piece and it's autism speaks who came up with that. Okay. Bob autism Wright. speaks. Okay. And um, what they see it is, is it a puzzle means something's missing. Okay. So they see when they see the puzzle that people think something's missing, but really with autism, we're not missing something. We're just having difficulty connecting and okay. find our place to connect. So with autism, one of the things I recommend is find people who are in the autism community who are doing things for the autism community and join them. And a lot of times, even churches, I'll call churches and ask to speak at their church and they'll use this line. We have no one with a disability. And then I email them back this. So you're telling me you have no old people at your church? You have no people with autism? Maybe the reason they're not there yeah. is you haven't been accessible, so they're going to come there. There's a joke that perfectly illustrates this. Two grumpy old men are sitting on a park fence. First one gripes, oh, I feel so old. My back is going on me. I have eyesight of a bat, and I can barely move on my walker. Second one says, I feel like a brand new baby. Fred, you're nearing 100. You couldn't even, Betty White, you make look young. How can you feel like a brand new baby? He says, well, you see, I'm bald. I got no teeth. I swear to you, this diaper is leaking. And every one of us, <laughs> if we live long enough, is going to have a disability. Normal cycle of life is disability, partial ability, ability, partial ability, and disability. And that's mm -hmm. if we live to 100 and we're the most fortunate ones of all. Yeah. So I like to encourage churches is let people who are on the spectrum share their story. Where I am weak, then I am strong. And a lot of times, churches, other organizations, they seem to silence a voice that needs to be heard that expresses God's grace, 1 Peter 4.10, and says in its various, or the actual Greek is, in its unique ways. So why aren't we expressing God's grace in its unique ways? God's given me gifts. He's use a prairie dog with, with missing all his fur and desperate need of Rogaine. Don't give him Viagra because at 40, you'll have a heart attack, the little sucker. But God can use that grace, but are we seeing it? And what I think too is that God best shows his glory using faulty tools. You see a rusty nail, you see a broken down caterpillar construction vehicle, and you see this beautiful mansion. And you say, how was that done? And you show those tools, they say that's impossible. But when God uses the lowly things mm -hmm. of the world, the impossible becomes possible because we're no longer relying on our own strength and power, but on God, who's the all-powerful one. Wow. Amen to that. I That gave me two thoughts that I'm going to wrap up with, and then I'm going to toss it over to you if you have any closing thoughts uh, that you'd like to wrap up with. So one, you know, you said maybe the reason your church doesn't have people with disabilities is because you as a church haven't been intentional about, you know, being accessible. And then you use the metaphor of the baby and, you know, a baby is a perfect example is a person with a disability is a baby. And most churches today, uh, any, any church that's growing, uh, healthy, I'm a church planter. So, you know, when you start a church, like you better have a place for babies because yeah. if you don't, and you're going to, you got to put, uh, you have to put investment into your nursery. You have to have it be clean and safe and have um, vetted workers, volunteers working the nursery. 
Because if you don't, anybody with a baby is never going to come to your church. Or if they show up once, they're not going to come back because they're saying, you obviously don't want me here. You don't want me here because you don't have any accommodation for my baby. And for me as a parent, while I'm here with my baby, I think that's an a, a really powerful metaphor, an example, not a metaphor, just an example of that for the church today. And, and I and I and I'd be guilty of that as well, where we go, we we don't think about people with disabilities of all types and and how are we investing in people with disabilities and in the families of people with disabilities. And I would go as far as to say, and I'll incriminate myself in this, if we aren't, then what we're really saying is we don't want you at our churches. Yeah. And that's an indictment that we need to go before the Lord with and go and with our leadership team and say, okay, uh, if we are to be in a place of the kingdom of God, uh, we need to be, a, I mean, look at Jesus. He had people with yeah. all types of disabilities that were just drawn to him over and over. And he was able to heal them with a touch or with a word. And we may or may not have that power. God certainly can still do that today yeah. uh, when he chooses to in our midst. But we also can bring healing uh, relationally. We can bring healing to families. We can bring healing with love. And if we're not willing uh, to make those accommodations, then that's that's never going to happen. We're not going to have the bridge built to be able uh, to do that. My second thought, which is related to that, is... We talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion today, and I'm all for that. Uh, I'm all for multi-ethnic ministry and multi-gendered ministry, getting men and women leading together and getting uh, Blacks and whites and Latino, Latina, Asian, Native American leading together as much as you're able to, because when you do that, you you get different perspectives at the table and you get different gifts at the table. If everybody on your leadership team as a white male, non-autistic, uh, yeah. you know, and even often the same age, the same generation, and they're leading your organization or your church, your denomination. There's only one perspective that's at the table, and you are you're 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 blind to all these other yeah. perspectives that aren't there. And what you're doing is you're you're uh, you're starving your organization of these other gifts. So yeah. I'm taking that away, Ron, as a huge thing of what does it look like to have people with autism on your church's leadership team and having people with other disabilities on your church's leadership team because you're bringing, even to this podcast today, you're bringing a perspective that nobody else has ever brought before uh, before these listeners and that is a gift. It's a it's yeah. a gift and a talent uh, that nobody else has. And we would be deprived without it. And you have an eye for how to minister to people with disabilities that I don't have because you experience it every day. So I love it, man. I'm just give, I'm sharing to you and the listeners what God yeah. is kick, kicking up in me. And I think some incredible takeaways that churches and church leadership teams can take away from this conversation. And I like this quote by a missionology, Oswald Smith. People don't come into our church. We have no choice but to go out to and bring them in. And that's what we need to do. That's what Jesus did. He went out to where the people were. He drew them in. John chapter 12 says, when I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. When we lift Christ up, if all men are driven in, people with disabilities are. And a lot of people are saying right now, Christ is taken out of the schools. Christ is out of our school. You know what? 
I can go into school, I can share in a public school about Jesus Christ, and no one says anything about me because I'm sharing on autism. It's more politically incorrect to tell an autistic person who's an adult who mm. can't talk about his special interest than it is to let an autistic adult talk about God. And God's opened up the door next week. I'll be speaking in a big public school and I'll be able to share my testimony. My testimony has about my running, about God bringing me the lawyer. And I'm going to be able to share that to thousands of students. So when we don't use the gifts, we're missing out on a lot. And this is how I describe special needs ministry. A lot of times pastor does the work rather than getting the people with disabilities involved in ministry. When we have people like me share in the church on disabilities, share on their unique ability in using God's unique grace, we're able to build up the body of Christ. And a lot of times ministry, we see it like the Mr. Potato Head. We think that we got all these parts. But what ends up happening is a lot of times we put one part above another part. Maybe the church is based on a prophet. So the vision, we put it above on the top of the head where the hat should be. Or the ministry is based on serving those in the community. So we take the hands and we mm -hmm. put them mm -hmm. where the eyes would be. Or we take the feet um, and put them somewhere else and we move it around. You no longer had a Mr. Potato Head, a nice stud. You got a monster. Yeah. And what we need to do is a body of Christ to see all those parts show how they fit in together, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20 or through 30, and put them together and use them for God's glory. And that's what I've really been able to do is when I go speak at churches by the Holy Spirit's power, share how God's using my gifts and then make people see things from a different perspective, from a different way of um, view, and that how God's grace is really being able to be poured out and like water, grace always pours to the lowest place. And then as it transforms people, it transforms, transforms society, and it yeah. changes the way our world is. And a lot of times we feel on autistic like that puzzle piece. We're missing because people haven't given us that chance mm. to share Christ and show how Christ is working in us. And he's the hope of glory. Amen. Colossians one twenty seven. Yeah, yeah, man, Ron, that's so awesome. Thank you, Ron, for one, listening to the flip side. That's so cool. And for joining us on the flip side and sharing this. I know listeners are going to be really blessed by this. And your story continues uh, to make a difference in people's lives and in churches. And God's blessing to you, man, as you keep going, just like that honey badger, keep going and don't quit. Yeah. And God's going to keep doing great things through you. So thanks, Ron. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much. And I love this quote. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said this, by perseverance, the snail made on the ark. And you could be slow as a snail, but if you're heading in the right direction, God's going to get you there. God's blessing is going to be upon you. Welcome back. I hope that that interview with Ron inspired you the way it did me. I hope that you, I hope it challenged you as well, challenged you in thinking about uh, ways of making your life more inclusive and uh, making, making those accommodations uh, for people with disabilities that say, hey, we actually want you here. Uh, and and you, can, you can think that in your head, we want you here, uh, but it takes intentional building of those systems into your church, into your life 
uh, to communicate, just like that church nursery with the babies, uh, to communicate, no, we really want you here. And so that really challenged me. I'm going to be praying praying into what that looks like for uh, my church, Mosaic Church, and I hope that you uh, that you do the same. Uh, now, those that are that are regular listeners of the flip side, like Ron, uh, who himself is a flip side listener, his Ron's third favorite podcast is the flip side. Uh, next is something we like to call Noah's rant, and you hear that siren warning alarm going off in the background. Uh, that is simply to warn you, good dear listener, uh, to turn off the podcast now. So if you are a mature, sensible, grounded uh, individual, there's you don't want to listen to what's next. It's not funny. Uh, it's not entertaining. Uh, it's it's sad, and if you listen to it, you'll probably you'll probably write me emails about about how you don't like it. So if you keep listening, it, it is your fault. You've been duly warned. It is now time for the one, the only Noah's rant. Noah's rant. All right, Noah's rant time. Noah's rant time. So today's rant, it's gonna be, it's gonna be different, a different type of rant. This is a mixture. This is a hybrid rant. We're doing both a positive rant, a shout out rant, as well as a rant within, uh, the, uh, as well as a traditional rant within the shout out rant. So some of you will be confused, I'm sure. The first shout out rant is to Aldi. Now I'm aware Aldi may not be a national grocery store, a global grocery store. I really don't know. I don't know. I talked to someone in California that told me they have Aldi's in California. So I, I'm I'm good with that. I, we're talking about Aldi today, which is a, a local grocery store that I love. This is a shout out to Aldi. Aldi is my kind of people. I got to ask a preview of our next episode. I'm interviewing Laura Taro. I got to ask Laura how to say her last name, if it's Taro or Taro. I need to get that ready by next episode. Uh, Laura is a church planter friend of mine from within our denomination, Evangelical Covenant. She is currently working at a church in Batavia, Illinois, which is the homeland, the motherland of Aldi. I shop at Aldi. That's where we buy uh, 95% of our groceries. They have re- they have really cheap prices. They have all these ways that they make their prices cheap. So, for example, uh on a a box of packaging from Aldi, they have a lot of their own brands that they come up with, which are kind of hilarious. So, instead of just Aldi brand, like my oatmeal has an oatmeal themed brand. My uh, ketchup has a ketchup themed brand, but they're all from Aldi. I love it. And they 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 have these huge UPC labels like that take up the whole side of a box. And that's so when you get in line at the checkout counter at Aldi, they are going so fast. I've never seen a faster checkout. It's it's actually kind of intimidating because the <laughs> they're going so fast with the person in front of you that they're ready for your stuff way faster than you can load up the belt. They're like, because 
these UPC at a normal store, the UPC is like the size of a postage stamp, and the person has to look for it and slows it down and finds it and then bloop and then finds your next thing. Well, at Aldi, it's like their whole package is a UPC, basically. So they are just machine gunning your stuff through the conveyor belt into your cart and and their whole thing is speed their whole thing is efficiency how do you get the most customers through by spending the least amount of overhead and so while i'm trying my best to get my stuff out of the cart onto the conveyor belt i often feel like i'm sure to no fault of their own that the cashier is rolling their eyes at me uh trying to get me to go faster so that they can do their job which is to uh, to make this thing go fast. They're they're done uh, way before I'm ready for them to be done, and I'm sitting there. I checked out the other day with a debit card. Usually, I just use my credit card. I don't remember why it wasn't working. So for some reason, it wasn't reading my card. So I used my debit card. Oh, I remember what it was. I was paying with my church debit card because it was for a church purchase. And with a debit card, you have to type in a four-digit PIN. And I swear, my cashier was was twitching waiting for me to get my my four digit uh pin in because I was I was slowing down the line. So I love Aldi. It, it is my it is it is my type of people. Uh, but it can be a little intimidating if you're not used to Aldi. If you're not an Aldi person and you show up at Aldi, it can be a little intimidating. The checkout process can be a little intimidating as well as the the famous Aldi you put a quarter in a cart to get the cart. I love this about Aldi because if you've never heard of this before, you're literally going, who on earth would come up with such a crazy system? It sounds not even believable. But at Aldi, they do not have in the parking lot uh, cart corrals. They do not have a place for you to put your cart because if they did, they have to pay a worker to go out into the parking lot. And if you go to a larger grocery store, I mean, that's a lot of carts in the middle of winter. They're covered in snow and they're pushing like a hundred carts at one time into the store. That costs money to the store. So instead, they incentivize you, the customer, to return your cart to the store sidewalk rather than leaving it out in the parking lot. So you might wonder how much incentive would be necessary for you to actually bring your cart back and not be lazy and just leave it where it is? Well, the answer is 25 cents. 25 cents, one quarter, one coin. That is the incentive to take your cart back to the store. So when you get your cart, you have to have a quarter on you. You put it in like it's a video game, like an old arcade game, and then you put it in and you get your cart. You It unlocks the cart, literally, and then you can walk around the store with your cart. But the only way to get your quarter back is to return the cart. What's hilarious is a quarter nowadays, I mean, you can buy literally nothing with a quarter. I don't even think they even have 25 cent machines anymore there you have to put multiple quarters in to get a gumball right like you can't a quarter is almost worthless but if you shop at aldi because you're trying to save money like me you dang it are gonna go get your quarterback and you bring your cart you bring your cart back that's how cheap uh, i am that's how cheap you are if you shop at aldi and uh Usually for me, it's it's because it's actually my only quarter 
in my car. So so I don't really care about the quarter, but I don't carry cash around with me. I don't carry change around with me. I typically have one quarter in my car. It is my Aldi quarter. So uh, if, for example, Aldi needed me to uh, ha- had some some strange shaped key that they gave you as a member of Aldi, and that key is how you got your cart out, uh, I would definitely bring my cart back because I need the key again so that next time I'm there, uh, I can get I can get my cart. But this often can backfire because what happens in the parking lot, there's this weird little dance that happens in the parking lot. Uh, I, I just load it up. So what I do is I take my groceries into cart to my car. Oh, by the way, Aldi doesn't bag your groceries for you. So those of you that don't go to Aldi, you're like, why would I ever shop at this place? Like, am I... Am I packaging the cereal before I, before I, am I putting it in, you know, the box itself? So they don't bag your groceries. This is all part of the Aldi charm. You buy your own bags, the permanent environmentally friendly bags. You bring them with you and you use those as your bags. So I take, I take, because bags cost money to Aldi and they can, they can give you cheaper groceries, right? All right. So I take my groceries out, out to my car and I put them in the bags and then I throw them in my trunk. And then the dance begins. So I've got this cart. And I want my quarter back because I need it, like I said, for later. But there's there's these Christian people or these Good Samaritan people or or these people that are trying to earn points in heaven. And they, they will see someone in the parking lot walking up. And instead of them going to get their quarter back, they say, hey, hey, friend, here, hey, fellow citizen, you can have my cart. It's amazing. It's like they gave them a quarter. It's really nice. I've had people uh, do that for me before. And you're like, oh, man, that's really nice. You really made my day. You gave me a cart and you gave me you gave me your quarter. So I'll have someone eyeing me like, yo, bro, are you going to give me your cart? Kind of like wink, wink. I'm right here. It's only a quarter. Be a good citizen. Well, what they don't know is I don't have another quarter in my car. I need that quarterback. So I, I have to, I have to look the other way and give them the cold shoulder and right in front of them, go return my cart, take my quarter, uh, nice and shiny, kind of shine it in their face and walk back to my car while they then have to pay right for their, for their own cart. So, so this, this, this little thing, this little thing can, uh, can backfire and it does backfire. Uh, if I was if I was smart, I would just keep extra quarters in my car because I am lazy and I really hate having to take having to take my cart uh, all the way back to get my quarter. All right, last thing, last thing about Aldi, uh, they have this poster up now, and it says voted like four years running the the lowest priced grocery store. Like okay, congratulations! Like they're really pumping this. Voted four years running lowest priced grocery store and they have a, a a bar graph up i believe of the amount of votes that each grocery store got the percentage points i don't remember them scientifically but i remember aldi was first and they had a bar you know maybe it was like they got 70 percent of the votes or 60 percent of the votes for lowest prices then next was meyer meyer is a midwest grocery store chain very large out here in the midwest uh, they, let's say, got 30% of the vote or something, or 25%. Next was Walmart. They were number three for cheapest grocery. You know, you can kind of visually, uh, the bar gets smaller each time. And then number four, fourth place, was Kroger for, for lowest prices. Now, that's great. Congrats to Aldi. They got the lowest prices. That's why I shopped there. But I just had this thought. 
that's fitting for Noah's rant. Um, you you don't you don't actually have to vote on the lowest price. Like you, we just had the election. We voted on who we want the governor to be. We voted on who we want the senator to be or the school board. Lowest price is is just a number, and and whichever number is lower is the is the winner. So so for example, if if Meyer is selling milk for three dollars, and Walmart is selling it for two dollars and fifty cents, but Aldi is selling milk for two dollars. Guess guess who wins? Guess who wins the lowest price grocery store? It would be Aldi for for the two dollar the two dollar uh, the two <laughs> the two dollar milk. I. I, I hope that you understand the, the humor in this for me. Not that Noah's rant today is all that humorous, but the humor in that in that poster. Uh, it would be like if you are a, a fan of, of golf, and uh, I'm thinking of sports because it's a very objective. Let's say basketball. Uh, the, the, the Pistons, my local team, score 100. And uh, the Lakers, who are very bad, this year they score 90 and the game is over and then they have a vote hey fans let's vote who won the game you know the pistons won because the vans voted no uh i, I just think it's kind of kind of funny that all these really proud of themselves that they did a vote for who voted lowest price like who who would vote they do have the lowest prices but that's just because their prices are lower uh, not not because my they got voted lowest price so uh th th this is my best attempt today folks <laughs> at a nose rant about aldi i love aldi uh for those of you for those of you that that um that that shop at aldi i hope that uh you can appreciate some of this humor uh, get out there and vote vote for aldi for lowest prices and the next grocery store i'm, I'm pushing them i'm i'm putting posters out uh, yard signs in my yard. Vote for all the lowest prices uh, because your vote determines that. Uh, it's anyway. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. Thank you for listening. You know what? Noah's rants. It's here to make the world a better place. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we did that today, but we are a people of grace, and we are under grace. And uh, even Noah's rant needs a little grace sometimes. So thanks for listening. Uh, check. Uh, please support the podcast on Patreon. Check us out on YouTube if you've never watched an episode. Uh, you definitely want to watch today's show uh, with Ron. And I will see you next time on The Flip Side. The Flip Side with Noah Philippia is a Beyond Ministries production. Copyright Noah Philippiak. www.noahphilippiak.com Theme music by Kyle Lake at Kalick Music. Used with permission. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. It's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory because you're in or you're out. When you see them in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Pulpit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. You